You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, who, along with Sam Dykstra and William Borg, just put the finishing touches on all of the updated mid-season re-ranked lists. Um, I kind of think we have to put mid the mid part of mid-season in, in quotes since this is later than we've put it out. Though, Jim, I know you have contended that it, I it is. Yes, yes. I, I yeah. dispute that because the, se- the minor league season started late, so I think we're okay calling it mid-season this year. All right. So it is. Uh, but we have <laughs> on the site, new top 100 prospects list. All 30 team top 30 prospect lists are updated and the top 10 by position lists are updated. And we are going to dig into all of those, uh, primarily the top 100 list on today's podcast. Um, we will look at the top 10 overall. Uh, we'll look at some general trends in the top 100 list, the demographics. Uh, we'll break the list down, look at the biggest risers, biggest fallers, highest ranked newcomers, the draftees on the list, uh, 2021 draftees, that is. We'll look at the best represented teams, and then we'll wrap up, as we always do, by answering some questions from the mailbag. Uh, guys, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm I'm slightly fatigued, a little tired. It's been a... It's been <laughs> right. a uh, it's been a it's been a busy few days gotta say the i every year i i forget how chaotic the mid-season re-rank is it just i I guess over the course of the year it it just fades from my memory that that it it is i I think i always think of the preseason list as being you know where we're doing it for for the first time in the season but there's something about the the mid mid mid-season re-rank that is more chaotic than the pre putting the preseason list together. I don't know if that holds true for you guys as well. Well, I don't think it's as much. It's not as much work because we're not writing 30 new reports for every team. But I was wondering if the chaotic part came from, you know, when we do the preseason list, everything's new. So we're, we're just creating new reports, you know, on the production end, we're just, you know, it's, we just have all these new reports. There's no games going on. And when we do the midseason list, there, there's, you know, minor league games going on, major league games going on. You know, guys are graduating. We're going to have a guy graduate off the top 100 prospect list, I think, tonight after being on it yesterday on the new one. Um, and then we have the mix of, oh, here's some new guys, but also, hey, we're updating these grades or this part of the guy's report. So it seems like it's more – I don't know, precision work as opposed to just, Hey, I'm dropping in three paragraphs and grades on, on 900 new guys. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think, you know, preseason, uh, and this is a little, little inside baseball. I mean, I mean, you know, it's like, that's our main focus. It's not like we don't have other things. You know, there's always that crush of, are we going to get it done before, you know, spring training coverage starts if there is spring training coverage. But, um, I also think Jason, like, you know, one of the good things about aging is that you forget things. Well, the bad thing about aging is that this takes more and more out of us. I think the older we get, um, you know, but, uh, I'm speaking from the eye here. I don't want to, I was going to say, you call me old, uh, I'm calling you older than when we first started. This. We're all getting older every day. Guys. That is true. That is very, very true. And seems more true lately with this, with this process. But I, I also think that, you know, and we, we've talked about this a bunch before, just the, the way the calendar was stacked up this year. Um, there was no like time to breathe, right? With futures game, draft, trade deadline, signing deadline, re-rank uh, without, you know, a chance to exhale at all. And I think to me, you know, that added a, a little something to the sort of um, exhausting and f- sort of frenetic nature of, uh, of this process. Well, I think not to make everybody feel bad for us, but I mean, I just think the whole year's been weird because, you know, we did the re-rank 
And then we had spring training after we did the draft list. Usually, like, we, we go to spring training, then we do the draft list, then you catch your breath a little bit. So even going back to, what was that, March and April, you, we didn't get a chance to catch our breath. And with the draft getting pushed forward, we expanded the draft list a third time. So it, it just feels like we've had one major project after another, pretty much, you know, if you want to count the top 100 in January, pretty much all year. So, um hopefully it will slow down a little bit um i don't know what do you think we need to do like 2022 draft 100 in, in like next week maybe you know um, we're recording right you yeah. shouldn't say things like that out loud when we're <laughs> just recording. to keep up our frenetic pace we'll do we'll do the draft 2022 top 100 next week jonathan so if you can get your names in good luck uh, that would no be you're great. on your own on that one that sounds like a jim callis project so this particular mid-season re-rank and the jim your story that that uh, accompanied all of the re-ranked lists uh, starts by saying there's more upheaval than ever on MLB, MLB Pipeline's updated top 100 prospects list. 27 players graduated from our preseason rankings and performances were more volatile than ever coming off the 2020 season with no minor league games. Uh, we have a new top 100, uh, I'm sorry, a new one, number one overall prospect as uh, Wander Franco had recently graduated. Um, there's been some shuffling of the top 10. Uh, pitching is down. Um, draftees made a big splash on this list. Uh, what, what are some what are some of the things uh, that, that stood out to you guys as you worked on this list? Uh, you know, I think, I mean, all those things are, you know, are, are interesting things that we're going to unpack as we as we go on here. But I think to me, the the biggest thing that jumps out is the combination of bats stepping forward and pitching not uh painting with a broad brush there were pitchers who have made leaps up uh but you know when if you look at the list and even at the top of the list it's very hitter heavy um and you know it's the early, i guess you know the early returns if you're going to draw any conclusion on sort of post 2020 shutdown is that the hitters have taken a step forward and the pitchers have struggled a little bit more coming back from, from all that time off. That's not true of every single prospect, but I think if, uh, if the top 100 is a, as an indicator, then it's, you know, you know, it's kind of like the S and P 500, right? The S and P 500 speaks to how the stock market is doing. Like the, if you look at our top 100, I feel like that, it is a sign that the hitters have performed very well post shutdown while the pitchers have not done so as well across the board. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there've been some hitters have gone backwards too, but I think that's right. You know, and, and just continue on that theme. I mean, if you look at the 10 highest ranked players who were in professional baseball to start the season, but weren't on our top 100. So the 10 guys who've, who've jumped onto the list, the highest, they're all position players. If you look at the draft, and I know, you know, look, if Kumar Rocker had been healthy and signed, he would have been on the top 100 prospects list. But we, we added 11 guys from the draft, and we'll talk more about them later. But eight of those were position players. And I think only one pitcher uh, was in the top 49 of, of the guys we added. And you go back and you look at our, our preseason list, at the pitchers who were at the top of the list, and it's kind of a – a scary group for the most part because the top ranked pitching prospect in baseball at the time was Mackenzie Gore and, and his mechanics have gotten all fouled up. Nate Pearson's been hurt. Casey Mize has graduated. Sixto Sanchez has been hurt. Ian Anderson, I guess has graduated, right? And he's been hurt too. I mean, you know, Matt Manning of uh, the guys who haven't graduated, Matt Manning's gone backwards. You know, Grayson Rodriguez, I'm looking here at the pitchers we had ranked in the top 30, 35 prospects coming into the year. And of the pitchers who have not graduated, Grayson Rodriguez is really the only guy. I mean, he's gotten better, but he's really the only guy who's even held serve. It's, it, it is kind of scary to look what's, look what's happened to, to many of the top pitching prospects in baseball. Yeah. And this list has fewer pitchers on it than, any top 100 list we've ever done. And it has a, the lowest percentage of pitchers uh, that we've ever had on any list dating back to uh, the first one we did back in 2004, uh, back when it was only a top 50 list. But the 
lowest percentage of pitchers on a list in the history of our top 50 and top 100 prospects list. And, and uh, traditionally, I was just going to say, Jason, we, we have not, I mean, I think we both acknowledge that, you, you know, yes, you know, there's more attrition with pitchers, but this isn't a, hey, there's no such thing as a pitching prospect philosophy where we made a conscious effort, hey, let's go hitters over pitchers. I, I don't think we've ever really done that, Jonathan. I mean, I don't think we're afraid to rank pitchers that we're getting, you know, we, we've seen well, we're getting good industry feedback on. There just weren't as many pitchers to rank this year. Yeah, I know. I, I agree with that. We, we haven't shied away from, from pitching and, you know, listen, all things being equal, is there some tends to be more certainty with hitters? They, maybe, but like, I, I don't think it's the case this time that it's, you know, well, we, we just don't think pitchers are, are as good or as valuable or, you know, won't, you know, produce long term as much. It's just that uh, coming off that year and what's gone on this year, uh, and it's the first time in a long time we've had actual performance and data and scouting reports and video and all those things um, that uh, that they haven't been as good. Period. And one other thing I was going to say too, Jason, you, you were asking about general thoughts. Is and we may have touched on this a little bit last week too. Just with the upheaval, I think with. With, with performances being all over the map after not really, you know, having a minor league season, so few of these guys got to play very much in games that counted last year. And so many guys graduating. I thought this list was tougher to put together than any top 100 I can really remember being, you know, involved with, like, in a long time or maybe ever. Like, I, I know when, when I started, you know, I – I start, you know, we, we all do our individual list and then we kind of mash them together in a spreadsheet and go from there and talk about them and then get a bunch of feedback. And my first step always is to sort everybody by position and then combine them into like a top 125 or 150 or however deep we go. And I, I usually, you know, do them in clumps. Like, okay, here's 14 guys who are the top guys. There's my top 10. Now I'll go on to 14 through 20. I, I had eight guys who I thought were clearly top 10 prospects. And I was like, uh, I don't know what to do with the rest of the list. Like I, I just after the top eight guys, everybody felt like they were, you know, about 10 or 15 spots too high just cause I, I didn't think there were that many slam dunks. I didn't have 10 slam dunks when I was doing the top of the list. So uh, in addition to the uh, lack of pitching on the list, and there were 30 pitchers. So uh, w one last note on that 30, you know, 30% of the list, pitchers. That's the lowest by far. Uh, previously, the lowest number had been 36 at 36%. And, you know, up until 2019, this has been a trend over the past uh, five lists that we've put out where the percentage of pitchers on the list has dipped below 40%, had been 47, 47, 45, 45, going all, all the way back to 2004 up until 2019 had been 44% on average. Then the past five years, 36, 37, 39, 39, and now 30% this year. So that has been a trend over the past few years. Another, you know, couple of interesting notes about uh, the position demographics, uh, the fact that there are more shortstops on this list than we've ever had on a list before. There are more catching prospects um, than have ever been on a list and the second most second base prospects ever. So, uh, I guess, you know, those spots that uh, used to house pitchers being distributed among those other positions. But this is an extremely heavy uh, shortstop and catcher list. you got to build the team up the middle, right? Uh, I, you know, I, the shortstop, the fact that there are a lot of shortstops doesn't surprise me. I mean, we've tended to be pretty deep in shortstops, uh, even if this is the most. Uh, I think the catcher in the second base is is interesting. And my first instinct is to say that it's for different reasons. You know, you know, catching is is cyclical in some ways, but I, you know, there were years it was hard to find, you know, ten for our top ten list. Um, and I just feel like there are a, a lot of really good young catchers uh, who have stayed behind the plate. They haven't, you know, they haven't been moved out, a la you know Bryce Harper or. We have Will Myers, who even caught for for a year in the minors way back when. You know, uh, the second base. I feel like that there's been a little bit of a shift in how second base is perceived. 
Um, you know, it used to be that second base to me was sort of like relief pitching way back when, where like you only became a reliever if you failed as a starter. And I think it used to be that second basemen were just guys who couldn't cut it at shortstop. And that's still often the case. Guys played short as amateurs, although I think we're getting more players who played second base, say, in college who continue to play it and play it well uh, as professionals. But I think, you know, there's there's been an, you know, an uptick in uh, offensive production from second base, what's expected offensively f- from a second baseman. Uh, you know, I, I think that there has been a general uh, a shift a little bit in terms of viewing second base as like a place where like a really good offensive player can play as opposed to, oh, that guy can't play short. So now he has to play second. Yeah, I was going to say a couple things. I, I think the draft is, has kind of shown or, or contributed or highlighted those recent trends at, at second base and catcher. You know, with catcher, the last couple of lists have been deeper in catchers. Um, you know, as you've noticed, Jonathan, we, we, we've gone from years where it's like, hey, we need six catchers to fill out the top 10 position list to, hey, we have more catchers uh, than we need on the top 100. So we're in great shape. Um, but you look at the top catching list right now and, you know, your, your top five catchers include number one overall pick in the draft, you know, Francisco Alvarez, who was a, a big international guy. Uh, Ali Rutschman was the number one pick. Joey Bart was number two overall pick. Caber Ruiz was a, a lower profile international guy. And then Henry Davis, who was the number one overall pick. And Diego Cartaya, who was a big money international guy. So those guys all had, you know, huge pedigrees, except for maybe Caber Ruiz coming out on the amateur side. And then second base, I think is maybe a little fluky because like we're counting Nolan Gorman as a second baseman right now. We're counting Michael Bush as a second baseman. I don't know that those guys are tr- necessarily going to be big league second baseman when all is said and done. Um, but if you look at this year's draft, we talked about the fact that the thing that seemed to be really deep in this year's draft where there were a lot of good offensive second basemen and five of the top 75 picks in the draft were second basemen. You, you Tyler Black out of Wright State, who was, who was a sandwich pick to the Brewers. He made our top 10 second base list. Cooper Kinney. For the Rays, went one pick after Tyler Black. Connor Norby went in the top of the second round. The Orioles, Peyton Wilson to the Royals, and Tyler McDonough to the Red Sox. So, um, you know, I haven't gone back and looked, but I wondered when the last time we had five second base, five guys drafted as second base in the top right. seventy-five picks. I wouldn't be surprised if that's never happened because usually you have guys you're, you're like, oh, we'll call him a shortstop, we'll try him at shortstop. But these guys, like second base, is their best case scenario with all these guys. So um, that second base number may actually grow because I don't think he was necessarily close to top 100 right now, Jonathan, but Nick York, who we've talked about in the podcast, I was cursing at Jason on Slack last year because I thought he was screwing around telling us who was going to be the 17th pick in the draft. I didn't believe him. Um, (laughs) Nick York is looking like he belonged in the first round with the way he's hit. I mean, he might not be, you know, he might be on the on the top 100 list in the near future. And some of those draft guys are Ezekiel Duran from the Rangers, who was in the Joey Gallo trade, or even Curtis Mead, another guy we had never heard of until the Rays traded for him. And, and now he looks really, really good. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I, you know what? I, I will. I would. I, I bet we have more than five second basemen on the top 100 list at some point next year, either either preseason or midseason. You putting 25 grand on it? Twenty-five grand, Always. yes, because I don't, I don't think any of these guys are going to graduate real soon. So yes, I will say, by mid-season next year, we will have, we, we, we will have had, we will have more than five second basemen on the list. All right, let's look at the very top of the list. I mentioned we have a new number one overall in Adley Rutschman, uh, and a little, little more reshuffling at the very top. Uh, Julio Rodriguez, the Mariners outfielder, is taking over the number two spot. Bobby Witt Jr. has moved up uh, to number three. Spencer Torkelson down a couple spots to number four. Um, Marco Luciano at number five. C.J. Abrams, number six. Riley Green, number seven, giving the Tigers uh, two of the top seven. Grayson Rodriguez, the first pitcher on the list, at number eight, giving the Orioles two of the top eight. Uh, Marcelo Meyer at number nine. Uh, Red Sox first rounder, and then Francisco Alvarez moving up into the top 10. So some interesting uh, movement at the very top there. Yeah, I mean, I think it was more just tweaking 
the top four guys. I mean, I think you could kind of argue those guys in any order. I mean, to me, Jonathan, you know, I think we all voted for Rutschman number one at the start yes. of the process. I mean, and we've talked about it before. I mean, he, he's a, you know, it's, it's a Mark Teixeira type offensive performer. Who's also a gold glove catcher. Like, that's kind of a pretty easy pick. And I mean, I think with the other guys, you know, with Rodriguez, Witt and Torkelson, it's just, you know, pick your poison really. I mean, I think Torkelson might have the highest offensive ceiling of those guys. So the other two guys aren't slouches. Um, you know, if you think Torkelson winds up at first base, I could see where you take the other two guys over him. And I mean, but, you know, I think you could have make a case that, you know, Bobby Witt Jr. could be number two when we have it number three because he's a he's a shortstop with plus tools across the board. And we talked at the beginning here on the podcast, guys, about hey, the the Royals are being aggressive, putting him in Double A because he barely played any pro ball, and he's already in Triple A now, and he hasn't looked overmatched at all. So I, 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 those guys were kind of the clear top four for me. And I, you know, if you wanted to put those guys in just about any order, I think you could defend it. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Uh, you know, and it some of it depends on you know what you like, and we'll see how they finish up this year. And if we you know we could shuffle it a little bit uh, for our twenty twenty two list, um, but I, I would agree. I mean, I think to me, Rushman is the is the is the clear guy at number one, and I would we you know we'll sort of discuss that a little bit later. I think, but uh, I think that um, you know I, I would have them. Uh, I, I like the order that we ended up having them in. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, Rutschman at number one, and uh, so that Grayson Rodriguez was number eight on the new list, and that gives the Orioles the highest-ranked hitting and pitching prospect in baseball, and that's only the second time ever that this has happened on one of our lists, preseason or midseason lists. The other time was 2017. Um, and that was the mid-season list where the White Sox had the number one hitting and pitching prospect in Yohan Moncada, who was number one overall, and Michael Kopech, who was the highest-ranked pitcher at number 12. So to have a hitting and pitching prospect uh, as the best in baseball for one team, uh, certainly uh, something that the the O's, I'm sure, are uh, extremely happy about. Yeah, and I was going to say, I went back and looked too. I think right before 2016, we just missed because we had Lucas Giolito one spot ahead of, of Urias for the Dodgers when Corey Seager was the number one prospect. So we just missed with them. And and going way back to my Baseball America days, pre, pre-MLB.com is how long ago it was, um, J.D. Drew and Rick Ankiel, uh, the Cardinals had that double entry in 1999, but kind of a, kind of a, a cool accomplishment there. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We will break down the top 100 prospects list further. We'll look at the biggest risers on the list, the biggest fallers, the highest ranked newcomers, and the 2021 draftees who entered the list. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. We are talking mid-season re-ranked prospect lists. Top 100 prospects, team top 30 prospects, and top 10 by position lists are all updated on MLB.com slash pipeline. Go there and check them all out. Right now, we're focusing on the top 100 list. And specifically, let's talk about the biggest risers on the list. So, uh... This group is a little bit different than the highest-ranked newcomers. So these are players who uh, were on the list already uh, in the on the preseason list and made big jumps up uh, the list. We have another group of highest-ranked newcomers that we'll talk about as well. Those are guys who were not on the list. 
and uh, we'll look at where they ended up on this midseason list. So starting off, biggest risers. I'll rattle them off quickly, and then we'll talk about a couple. Specifically, Shane Baz, right-handed pitcher for the Rays, uh, jumped from number 90 to number 20. Nationals right-hander Cade Cavalli jumped from 99 to 41. Mariners right-hander George Kirby jumped from 92 to 35. Angels lefty Reed Detmers from 74 to 24. This is kind of uh, going against what we were talking about earlier, guys, with the pitchers. Uh, you know, not, not a lot of pitchers making jumps, but our first four on this list are all pitchers. Brennan Davis, uh, Cubs outfielder, jumps from 61 to 14. Brett Beatty, Mets third baseman, uh, jumps from 94 to 49. Hunter Green, Reds right-hander, jumps from 81 to 27. Alec Thomas, D-backs outfielder, jumps from 81 to 42. Francisco Alvarez, Mets catching prospect, jumps from number 48 all the way to number 10. Edward Cabrera, Marlins right-hander, jumps from 68 to 30. And Kiber Ruiz, uh, now Nationals catching prospect, jumps from 57 to 19. So we have a range there. Uh, Boz jumped from uh, jumped 70 spots. Uh, number 10 on that list, Ruiz jumped 38. So significant jumps uh, for all of these guys. And let's start off by talking about the biggest riser, Shane Baz. Uh, Will, and at first I have to, I made a typo, Jason. I feel terrible. I just noticed this as you were rattling them off because I, I'm doing the math in my head. Hunter Green was originally number 71, not number 81. Um, he was up 44. Oh, I just, I, we, we have him correctly on the list. I just have his ranking wrong. Math so. is right. Got it. Exactly. Sorry about that. That was, that, that just, I was appalled as you were rattling them off and I realized, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. But um, yeah, he had a few things going on. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Shane Boz, uh, you know, I, I cannot think about Shane Boz without thinking about the, the horrible Chris Archer trade for the Pirates, where they gave up Tyler Glass now and Austin Meadows and a player to be named when that trade went down. I remember a couple of days after the trade, somebody I knew who used to be in baseball but wasn't said, hey, oh, by the way, the third player is Shane Boz. I was like, come on, that can't be right. Like, there, there's no way. Like, they're giving up a first round pick, you know, with those other two guys, but it was Shane Boz. And, you know, for years, we knew Shane Boss had great stuff. He was number 12 overall pick in the draft. And, you know, he, you know, stuff kept getting, you know, more power to it. You know, fastball in the mid to upper 80s, I mean, mid to upper 90s, touching 100, wipeout slider. You know, we both saw him, I think, Jonathan, in the Arizona Fall League two years ago where he had maybe the best pure stuff in the league. But he wasn't throwing strikes. And I want to say I think his ERA was around eight. He got hit hard a couple times because he wasn't locating. And, you know, the question was, you know, okay, you know, one of the best arms in the minors, but is he going to harness it? Is he going to be a starter? Is it really a reliever? And when you look at Shane Boz this year, and it's like, you know, the stuff's as good as it ever was, but the delivery's calmer. Um, he's repeating it better. He it hasn't just gone from below average cold control to average control. He's been plus control for a lot of the year. You know, now my question with Shane Boz is, are, are the Rays going to call him up? Is he going to contribute to the – to the pennant drive down the stretch. So he's just, you know, he was a guy who, who the, the raw ability was there and he, and he's just really started to refine it. Yeah. The, his stuff along with the, that control and command that leap forward, it makes him, I mean, that's the, that's the reason he is where he is. It's uh, really been uh, extremely impressive. And you know, I wanted to talk about Hunter green because I mean, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster in terms of where where we've put him. Uh, you know, obviously was as famous as just about any draft pick in in recent memory. And number two overall pick to the Reds back in 2017, went to the Futures game, threw a hundred plus, you know, a bunch of times, created a buzz, and then needed Tommy John surgery. So we didn't see him for a really long time, you know, last year we, he would have been back on the mound, but you know, he got work in the alternate site and we've got good reports, but as we've said <coughs> countless times, you know, we don't know what that means. And this year, uh, you know, he has come out and been, uh, you know, kind of what people, you know, with the reds, at least we're, we're hoping he would be. And, uh, you know, he's still crazy young. Like he just turned 22. And he has reached AAA and, you know, he is, he is doing kind of the things that we wanted to see, you know, the, the, the main sort of uh, complaints, but uh, you nitpick at guys who are taking that high is that as hard as he throws and through 
there was always a problem of him getting hit more than you'd think he should because the fastball was a little straight and he had a very good slider, but that was kind of it. Um, and his, he's back to throwing as hard, if not harder than he was. He's missing a ton of bats. He's missed 12 and a half. He struck out 12 and a half per nine this year. Uh, he's generally throwing strikes, uh, and he's not really getting hit. You know, it's a two eleven batting average against across both levels. And now he's knocking on the door and, uh, you know, it is it is an interesting thing. The Reds are, you know, in, in the wild card race. I think you could make the same argument. I don't think the Reds will do it given the injury history, but uh, could Hunter Green help them out even, you know, out of the bullpen in a David Price with the Rays kind of way down the stretch? Absolutely he could. Um, and it's just uh, it's been fun to see him kind of turn things around after uh, showing glimpses of, of excitement and then getting getting hurt and really putting it all together and, you know, knocking on the big league door in, in a lot of ways uh, ahead of the curve, uh, even if he hadn't gotten hurt to, to be this young and be you know close to big league ready is impressive. You said that his uh, rankings have been a bit of a roller coaster. The roller coaster had really just been going down, though, because he, he first debuted on our list at number 21 uh, in 2018 fell to 31 in 2019, 53 in 2020. And at the beginning of this year, uh, as Jim mentioned earlier, was number 71 and now has jumped back up all the way back up to number 27, uh, nearly as high as he's ever been ranked. So uh, quick shot back up the uh, top 100 prospect list there for Hunter Green. Now, continuing to talk about uh, the roller coaster going down, guys. So let's uh, let's shift from the biggest risers on the list to the biggest fallers. Most of most of these categories are in the breakdown of the top 100 prospects list. The story that's up on MLB.com and MLB.com/pipeline. This is a little extra nugget that's uh, not in the story. Um, the bonus guys' material, bonus special bonus podcast material. The biggest fallers on the list. And uh, so, Jim, these are these are guys who were on the list, on the preseason list, and remain on the list, but in a lower spot. Correct. Correct. So it, it does not count somebody who's on the list who fell all the way off. All right. So the biggest fallers who are still on the list, JJ Blade, uh, was number twenty, falls to number seventy-seven. Uh, Marlins outfield prospect Mackenzie Gore. Uh, Jim, sorry, sorry to have to mention this, but has dropped from six to 62. Uh, Drew Waters, Braves outfield prospect drops from 35 to 86. Asa Lacey from 30 to 72. Nolan Jones from 36 to 74. Braylon Marquez from 60 to 95. Nate Pearson, uh, was a top 10 prospect in the preseason list at number 10 has dropped to number 44. Daniel Lynch from number 29 to 59, uh, Sixto Sanchez from 15 to 45, and Christian Pache from number 12 to number 40. A uh, bunch of pitchers there, but uh, the first guy on the list, uh, J.J. Bleday. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to know what to, to make of, of Bleday. You know, number four pick in the 2019 draft, uh, didn't get to have his first full season. Obviously, he had a huge year at Vanderbilt in 2019 with tremendous power output, 27 homers there. And the power just hasn't shown up yet. Uh, I mean, he does have 11 homers this year, but he's hitting 208. Uh, You know, he lost a bunch of weight. He improved his conditioning, and he's just not really impacting the ball. So it seems as much. I know the Marlins have said that – you know, that he's still getting decent exit velocity and things of that nature. But I don't think anyone foresaw that Bladé would come out and have a a career 701 OPS to date in, in the minor leagues. And, you know, it's the first summer you kind of toss out the window a little bit. Uh, they sent him right to the Florida State League, and it's hard to hit there. And then last year was a lost year. But this year in AA uh, is not, you know, overall has not been great. And, you know, I think we could have made an argument to to drop him further, but we're giving a little bit of a mulligan and kind of uh, 
seeing what happens next year if he can kind of put all the things to together. But uh, this is not the J.J. Blade that I think we thought we were going to see when he came out of Vanderbilt. Yeah, and you know, Gore, it's it's, it's kind of the same thing. You know, number three overall pick in the draft. Uh, everybody knows I, I, I love the guy as a prospect. And, you know, the question last year was, you know, why didn't we see him in the big leagues? You know, we saw Ryan Weathers kind of shoot out of nowhere to the big leagues. Luis Patino, kind of his, his his big buddy within the Pottery system before he got traded to the Rays in the Snell deal, uh, shot up to the big leagues. But there was no Mackenzie Gore. And, and you heard his mechanics are out of whack. He's not throwing strikes as much as he did in the past. And, and it's been more of the same this year. And, and you know, I, I think – there were guys like, to be honest, I think if you were just judging guys based a hundred percent on what you, what they've shown this year, Blade and Gore wouldn't rank on the list, but I think considering we're coming off a very challenging year from a developmental standpoint in, in 2020, you know, and these guys were very high picks and were, were very high performers in the past where we are giving them mulligans. Um, you know, I, I was talking to somebody with the Potters recently and, Kind of the same thing with Gore. I mean, the pie, like, you know, you, you talk to the teams, and I do our Marlins stuff, so I've talked to the Marlins about Apple Day, and they're going to be optimistic about these guys. And, you know, they did, you know, they, but it's, you talk to people outside the organization, and I, I think there are, are greater concerns. I, I think the the pure stuff that Mackenzie Gore has is still there. He's just not locating it with any kind of consistency that he, that he used to in the past, and it's led to a lot of difficulties. So, you know, no injuries that we know of, you know, with him or, or with any of the guys on that list. But, you know, a lot of a lot of question marks. And it, it was interesting, Jason, as you were rattling off all those guys. Um, there are five of the top 20 prospects in baseball have all taken precipitous falls, you know, no more than Blade and Gore. And I mean, Gore hasn't even pitched since mid-June because his mechanics were so fouled up and he, he was really struggling at, at triple a el paso so yeah. um a lot of a lot of mysteries to what's going on with those guys it's, yeah i think it's interesting with gore you know it's one of those cases where you know last year we we didn't move him down you know we, we started to get reports that he you know sort of had uh, lost feel a, a bit in terms of commanding his pitches and, and things of that nature and and, you know, we're like, all right, whatever. This is the alternate site. We didn't know what to make of it. And I, you know, I think this is a case where had he struggled last year in games, he would have been further down already. You know, so some of the, some of the um, the the size of the the drop for him is kind of a bit of a market correction that might have happened last year if the struggles had shown up in actual competition. Well, Blade, uh you can at least say that he has he has improved uh, uh, over the course of the season. He got off to just a horrifically slow start uh, this year. Hit 141 in the month of May uh, with a 520 OPS. Uh, his June OPS was 705. July 812 and August 802. So he has uh, come around over the course of this year. But the scary thing is, for a guy who's supposed to be a good pure hitter, Jason. His highest batting average in any of those months is 234. So even though he's hit for more power after not hitting for any power in May when he's hitting 141, uh, I mean, he's hitting 208 for the season, you know, with, with many more strikeouts than he had in the past. So I, I still, you know, and I've watched that one closely because I do our Marlins rankings and it was tough ranking them because they had so many guys on the top 100 and you could argue them in different orders. So he is hitting for more power again, but he's, he's not making contact like he used to. And he's, he's, you know, not hitting, you know, it basically it's yeah, more than half his hits are extra. If he doesn't hit an extra base hit, he doesn't get a hit now. So it, it's just been a very, very weird year. And I think if you look at that list as a whole, most of the guys are, are, you know, based on performance. Uh, Sixto Sanchez, um, you know, just hasn't pitched this year. Um, Pearson has had trouble staying healthy, but I, I Marquez too. Marquez hasn't pitched yet this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think for the most part, the other guys uh, have played and just haven't performed. Yeah, that's fair. All right, let's get back. Let's get back on a positive note here. We're all Please. sad now. Come Dragging on, me geez. down. Highest ranked newcomers. Um, so for this one, we're talking about guys who were not on the list, but uh, and are now, but also are not 2021 draftees. 
So uh, that list is led by Mariner shortstop prospect Noel B. Marte, who leaps all the way to number 11. And we didn't have time to do the research on this, but I was questioning before we started. I'd be curious to see uh, whether any player has ever debuted uh, on a list that high. Um, that's a, a massive jump. And I know, you know, we can talk about him a little bit more specifically, but I know that, you know, Mariners fans have been hounding us uh, over the past year or so about him not being on the list. And there he is all the way at number 11. Another guy because, who because made... we all, we all know Jason, those Dominican summer league stats are great indicators to future performance. So. Right. Exactly. That That's why you get moved up. Uh, another guy who made a, uh, an enormous leap, another shortstop prospect, uh, Yankees shortstop prospect, Anthony Volpe, who jumps all the way to number 15, Jaron Duran, uh, is number 26 on the list, Red Sox outfielder. Diego Cartaya, the Dodgers catching prospect, jumps to number 29. Jose Barrero, uh, Reds shortstop prospect, is number 33. Gabriel Marino, Blue Jays catching prospect, number 34. Tyler Soderstrom, A's catching prospect, number 46. Or Elvis Martinez, Blue Jays infield prospect, number 48. Jordan Walker, Cardinals third base prospect, at number 63. And Oswald Peraza, Yankees shortstop prospect, another one on this list at number 64. So, you know, for anyone who's paid attention to the top 100 prospect list over the course of this year, you've seen these guys uh, enter the list, um, you know, based on guys graduating and these guys getting plugged in. But, you know, got getting plugged in at the bottom of the list. Um, but now you, you're seeing reflected uh, where they are, are truly um, being viewed by by the people that you guys have talked to about I, these lists. I have breaking research before Jonathan talks about Noel V. Marte. Two thousand, I like this just popped in my head and I checked it out. Two thousand seventeen, Ronald Acuna not on the preseason list, number eight on the midseason list. That makes sense. So that that was one that just jumped into my mind. I I don't know. I can't say. I've done, I've researched them all, but that one popped in my head while you were going through the Nicely chart. Done. So Ronald Acuna is the highest ranked newcomer that we know of. Yeah. And, and Acuna, you're like rushed up the minor leagues in a, in a, in a hurry. We, we barely had time to, to react. Marte, we've known about, and Jim hinted at this, you know, we, and Jason, you know, you, you did too. Like we've been hearing from Mariners fans asking about when Marte was going to uh, you know, make it onto, onto the lists. And yeah, listen, he was a, a high profile amateur, international amateur signing, but he hadn't played in the United States. He, had, he was really good in, in, in his debut in 2019, uh, 5'11 slugging and stole 17 bases and hit nine homers in 65 games and checked off a lot of boxes in, in that regard. But as, as Jim sort of implied, you know, like the go look up the league leaders in the Dominican Summer League any year. It's it's insane. It's like video game numbers and it's not taking anything away. But like we wanted to see what Marte did, it, you know, in, in the United States first. It, it's it's not too often that we rank guys in the Dominican Summer League, you know, on the top 100 just based uh, you know, on on that, and listen, we had gotten good reports. He came over and, you know, held his own at Instructs and looked like he belonged. And you get all those internal reports. It was at the alternate site last year. Again, he probably would have been, you know, would have hit his way onto the list. But so this year, you know, I think it's it's interesting. He he finally makes his, his U.S. debut. I mean, finally, he's 19. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we finally get to see it. And it's in full season ball. And he kind of hits the ground running um, and hits very well. And I think one of the things that really stands out is he, you know, he hit a little bit of a wall in July, uh, which often happens um, after having, you know, a, a 944 OPS in May, 907 in June. And then July, he was down to 586. Um, and now in August, he's found, found it again. He's over a thousand OPS for, for the month. And, uh, he's he's a really exciting offensive prospect, and he's got 17 homers and 21 steals. Um, you know, a chance to be another 2020 guy in, in the minor leagues as a teenager in full season ball. I think the only question is where he ends up playing defensively. 
I think most people think he ends up sliding over to third, but the offensive profile is going to work just fine there. Uh, you know, so this is a, a high end offensive player. And, you know, we, you know, I told a lot of those Mariners fans that, well, we need to see what happens. And now we've seen what happens and we've uh, adjusted accordingly. All right. And Jim, the next player on the list, Anthony Volpe, uh, another guy who went from obviously being unranked to going all the way up to number 15 on this list. And uh, this, this is a guy who, uh, what was he on the Yankees preseason? Number list? 11. Yeah, Number not 11. even in the team's top 10. Um, what happened? Yeah, you know, it's, you know, we talked about him on last week's podcast as well, but he, he's just been a different player. Like, you know, he was – you know, famously played in high school with Jack Leiter, who's number 12 on this list now. So Dill Barton School in Morristown, New Jersey, has number 12 and 15 prospects on our list uh, two years after the 2019 draft. He was a first-round pick, and, and, and he was in Jonathan's part of the country. And I, I think Jonathan and I had the kind of the same impression of him, that he was good player, good bat-to-ball skills, high baseball IQ, but kind of, you know, fringy power maybe, an average arm, and you know, wasn't like a lot of wow tools. And he, you know, he had mono in his pro debut. He's dealing with that. So he didn't put up big numbers, hit 215 in the Appy League. You know, it was a little bit of a challenging assignment because they could have just sent him to the Gulf Coast League. But they, they started him a rung higher. And, um, you know, I remember talking to Volpe in spring training last year, right before the pandemic shut down. And, you know, again, I mean, you're know, talking to the Yankees. I mean, they liked him, but they weren't saying, oh, this guy's, you know, you're light on him. He's one of the top 15 prospects in baseball. What are you guys doing? Um, and, you know, so he last year, you know, the Yankees were one of two teams that didn't even have an instructional league. So Volpe was pretty much on his own last year for the whole year. Um, you know, the Yankees also had mostly veteran guys at their alt site. Um, and he got stronger. Um, a lot stronger apparently. And he's come out this year and he's just had a, a crazy year. I mean, he's, I'm looking at the numbers. He's, he's, you know, between a and, and, and high a, and he's continued to, to drive the ball going to high a sitting 299. He's got an ops of 1035. He's got 19 homers and 28 doubles. He's leading the minors in extra base hits. He's leading the minors in runs. He's eighth in walks. Um, you know, he's not a speedster, but he's got 27 steals um, you know, he's, you know, his, that ops I, I cited is the third best ops, uh, in, in minor league baseball. And he's just been one of the best offensive performers in, in all the minors. And, you know, he's hitting the ball. Like he always had good bat to ball skills. So I don't think it's so much more that he's making more contact, but he's hitting the ball a lot harder and harder, a lot more consistently than he ever has. I mean, this is a guy who I would have thought, if you'd asked me coming out of the draft, I would have said, eh, 12 or 15 home run guy. And he might be a 20 or 25 home run guy. And, you know, he's, you know, it's, I was talking to somebody, I can't if we are talking about him or somebody else, about just guys who have, you know, really good, you know, feel for the bat and high baseball IQs. And we're talking, maybe I think we were talking about Volpe. And, and, and the guy I was talking to, this was a, a pro scouter. And he said, yeah, those are the types of guys who usually wind up being better than you think they're going to be. Um, and, and I think that's certainly been the case with Volpe. And, you know, if, <laughs> if, if, uh, if you had told me back in February or March or whenever that I would be pushing, and we did this because I do the Yankees list for ranking Anthony Volpe ahead of Jason Dominguez, I, I would have, I would have wagered all kinds of $25,000 and, uh, and, and be, and I would have be, be very poor right now, but, uh, just an amazing year for Anthony Volpe. And, you know, it, it's funny. We got feedback. We, we had him not nearly as high on our original version of the list. And we got probably more positive feedback about him than anybody. When we sent our list out of, of people telling us that guy's too low, he's really, really good. Um, like he's way too low. So he, I, th I think he snuck up you're on not a lot saying, of people. You're not saying you got two low comps. <laughs> no, 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 no. Nicely done. No, very nice. But uh, I, I don't, I don't have a comp for you too. I'm trying to think of who the comp would be. But um, yeah, he's 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 been pretty impressive. Yeah, he's on on the verge of becoming the second player in the minor leagues uh, to post a 2020 season this year. Do you, you know who already is at 2020? Bobby Witt Jr. Nicely done. Pipeline pop quiz. Danny, sorry. Danny G, <laughs> if you're out there listening. He just turned it off. 
Like he threw his phone down. And did it quickly, so at least it didn't take up too much time. That's right. All right, so let's uh, move on to our final breakdown of the top 100 prospects list. Uh, Let's look at the new draftees on the list. Uh, 2021 draft debuts, um, starting with the player that we had ranked um, as the number one draft prospect, uh, but went fourth overall in the draft to the Red Sox. That's Marcelo Meyer, who is number nine. Jack Leiter, the second overall pick, is number 12. Jordan Lawler, who the Diamondbacks took sixth overall, is number 13. The first overall pick in the draft is the fourth highest ranked uh, draftee on the top 100 prospects list, that being Pirates catching prospect Henry Davis. Uh, Khalil Watson uh, wasn't taken until 16 in the draft, but he's fifth on this list. Uh, He's at number 28. Then a little bit of a gap as Jackson Job is number 50. Uh, He was the third overall pick. And Brady House, the Nationals uh, pick at 11 overall, is number 60. Colton Kowser, who's off to a fantastic start for the Orioles, um, was the fifth overall pick. He's number 83. Sam Bachman, Angels right-handed pitcher, is ninth, uh, was the ninth overall pick. He's number 96. Sal Freilich, uh, Brewers, 15th overall pick, is number 97. And Matt McClain, uh, Reds, 17th overall pick, is number 99. Um, Jim, you want to uh, talk a little bit about... Uh, Meyer there. Yeah. And in general too, it's, it's funny. Cause we always, whenever we do a list like this, we'll get comments like how can you rank Meyer ninth or lighter 12th or whoever, you know, these guys haven't played yet. And again, I mean, we're ranking these lists, we're breaking it down by, you know, basically how we're, we think these guys stack up in terms of long-term value. And, and just because I mean, we do take minor league performance and track record and those sorts of things into account, but that's just one piece of the puzzle. And, you know, you can't just exclude draftees because they haven't played yet. And, you know, Marcella Meyer, you know, I'll admit, like, when I was talking before about how difficult it was doing our list, so I had my eight guys. I think we all, Jonathan, had the same top eight guys in our top eight, probably, um, you know, who came out one through eight, maybe not in that exact order on an individual list. And I was looking, I was like, okay, well, who am I going to vote for number nine? And and I came up with Marcella Meyer, and that, that's where our consensus wound up being, too. And, and, you know, I mean, again, this is a guy – people, you know, when we did our, our draft best tools and surveyed the industry, you know, it wasn't just among high school players. This is in the whole draft. Marcelo Meyer was the best hitter in the draft. He was the best defense player in the draft. He's a legit shortstop. He's not going anywhere. He's got 25 homer power potential. Um, and I mean, I keep using Jonathan's line from his, his draft report on Marcelo Meyer where, I mean, this could be a combination of Corey Seager's bat and Brandon Crawford's glove. And I, I went and I took all that in consideration. I was like, well, okay, I guess that's my number nine player because that's that's a really really good player. So, um, you know, I, I think we were. I, I don't even think Jonathan that we. I, I don't. I wouldn't describe us as either aggressive or conservative in general when we put draft guys on the list. I just think again because of the volatility of this year's list, there was more of an opportunity to rank draft guys higher, just because everything is is so topsy turvy right now. No, I think that's right. And we'll have to sort of adjust it. I, I have to say that um, I'm still so insecure that anytime Jim likes something that I write and says it out loud, it makes me feel good. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I, and that's, uh, I think you explained perfectly why we have Marcelo Meyer where where he did. And, you know, I want to sort of talk about Henry Davis because I think that there is uh, sort of a inclination that you would think, well, if he's the number one, number one overall pick, why is he, you know, number four, uh, among these draftees and number 23 overall. And, you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is, and we, we sort of have talked about this, you know, not while we're recording that, like, because the pirates went in this direction in terms of saving money and then using it aggressively and doing it extremely well later in the draft, that's become kind of a bit of the headline. And while we didn't have Henry Davis, you know, at the top of our draft rankings, he's, he's really good. Uh, you know, he can really hit, uh, he can hit for power. 
uh, he, he obviously has only played what five games as we're recording this, but he's off to a very good start. So the transition to pro ball doesn't seem to be bothering him much thus far. Uh, you know, the, the, the questions about the, the receiving part of things are, are what they are. And, you know, I think one of the reasons why the pirates were so uh, comfortable in taking him in addition to the, the money savers, they really liked the, the player and, he has a, a commitment. He really wants to be a good catcher. And if you don't want to catch, then then forget it. But he really wants it. Now, we'll see if it if it works when all is said and done. But the bat really plays. But, you know, he was not, in terms of uh, talent rankings heading into the draft, a, as high. So even though he was the number one pick in the draft, you know, we dropped him down a little bit. But, you know, this this was an instance where it's still a really good player. It wasn't that much of a reach in a year where there wasn't huge consensus and certainly not consensus within the, the Pirates draft room about who to take number one. And it, it may seem like he's ranked a little low because of the fact that there are three other guys from the draft class ahead of him. But if you look historically at where the number one overall draft pick is ranked on our lists. Uh, it's not that far off from the average. The average is actually 17. Um, and there have been several instances over the past decade where uh, the player that, you know, players that we had ranked higher in our draft prospects list going into the draft uh, were ranked ahead of the number one overall pick. It happened with Carlos Correa and Byron Buxton back in 2012 when uh, Buxton was the highest ranked uh, draft prospect and was uh, ranked ahead of Correa on the top 100 when they both joined that list. It happened with Dansby Swanson and Brendan Rodgers in 2015. It happened with Mickey Moniak and Jason Groom in 2016. Royce Lewis and Hunter Green in 2017. So this is pretty par for the course. Yeah, it wouldn't make sense to tear up our draft rankings, especially when these guys haven't done anything in pro ball because of all the time we put in it. We didn't necessarily stick exactly in the same order, but the three guys we had ranked ahead of Henry Davis, we all had ranked ahead of him on our draft list. And so we just kind of stuck to the opinions that we had formed and, and the industry consensus we had. But it's, you know, Jonathan, and you know, Henry Davis was in my half the country, so I did a lot of talking about him this year. You're right. You know, if he, you know, that will to catch and his makeup is his makeup is very, very strong. If he can become an average catcher, then he's probably a top 10 prospect in baseball because I mean, the arm is great. The raw power is great and he can hit too. He's not just swinging for the fences. So if he could clean up the catching that he's going to rise pretty high in this list. All right. When we come back, we are going to take a look at which teams are best represented on this newly re-ranked top 100 prospects list. We'll do that right after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo talking mid-season re-ranked prospect lists. And now we want to look through look at it through the lens of which teams are best represented on the list. We'll look at it in a couple different ways. We'll look at the teams that have the most prospects uh, on the list. And we'll look at uh, a little more closely at where those prospects rank and uh, do a little quick and dirty uh prospect points breakdown. So first of all, just by the number of players on the list, the Marlins lead all organizations with seven. Uh, The Royals have six, and then there are four teams tied with five each. The Orioles, who we mentioned before, have the highest ranked hitting and pitching prospect in baseball now. The Pirates, Rays, and Rangers each have five as well. Now, 
if you just for a you know a quick look at the impact prospects that the teams have on this list give the number one prospect 100 points number two 99 and on down the line to the number 100 prospect getting number one this is not scientific by any means but just to give a general idea uh, the marlins also lead uh, in prospect points with 323 the mariners uh, who only have four on the list um, but highly ranked have 320 prospect points orioles 255 Red Sox, only three on the list, uh, but coming at 250, and they are tied uh, at that mark with the Padres, who have four players on the list and are at 250 as well. Um, so the Marlins, uh, most top 100 prospects and most prospect points. And I, I feel as the guy who does the Marlins uh, system, <laughs> they might have also been the most confusing team to try to write up because I, I had the hardest time trying to sort out what order to put their guys in. We wound up bunching Cleo Watson, who came out of the draft. We have him at number one with Edward Cabrera and Max Meyer, like three and four spots behind him or, or two and three spots behind him. You know, Sixto Sanchez, what do you do with him? He hasn't pitched all year with the shoulder injury. We talked about the conundrum that is J.J. Bleday, who ranked higher than any of them coming into the year. And then on the flip side of J.J. Bleday, you have his former Vanderbilt teammate, Jake Eater, who had flashed first-round stuff in college, had been inconsistent, goes to A for his pro debut this year, and he's actually outpitched Max Meyer, who was the number three pick in last year's draft. So, um, to, and, you know, and Jesus Sanchez has rallied and, and hit very well and is going to graduate any day now because he's almost at the, the rookie limit for playing time. But, um, yeah, it, it's a jam system, but it, it created a lot of consternation uh, for me personally trying to figure out what order to put all those top 100 guys in. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, looking at some of those teams, you know, I, I do the Mariners list and uh, they've been a fun system for a little while now. And, uh, you know, similarly, it was interesting trying to come up with the the order uh, that we wanted, you know, that I wanted to put them in. Um, and, you know, we've already, you know, we talked about Noel V. Marte, who's in the top 11. Now they have Julio Rodriguez, uh, who's the number two overall prospect and Marte, who's number 11, two in the top 11. That gives them a lot of those prospect points, but they also have, uh, two really good pitching prospects in George Kirby and Emerson Hancock. And, you know, they, they had a run of taking college right-handers. Logan Gilbert's graduated. I mean, this is a system that, you know, lost Jared Kelnick and Logan Gilbert to graduation, and they're still, you know, high up there because of the high end talent. Um, and some other guys up and down took took uh, big steps forward. But you know, the interesting thing was is that we were, you know, lining up the top 100 and starting to get some. Well, you know, maybe Kirby belongs ahead of Hancock, and you know, internally the Mariners kind of were hinting at the same thing. And they, and there we have them stacked one right after another. And, you know, a lot of it just has to do with, you know, Kirby who, who entered, you know, who came into pro ball as having among the best command that we've seen in quite some time. His stuff has gotten better. He's throwing harder. His secondary stuff is crisper and he's still throwing as many strikes. Uh, so it's sort of like, you know, when we were talking about Shane Boz earlier, uh, but the, the other way around in, in terms of like the, here was a guy who had good stuff with, you know, plus command and now he has plus stuff with plus command, and that's why he sort of he jumped up. So that you know that the he kind of jumped over Hancock and both pitching at the same level in in, in high A ball. Uh, but it's not as deep in terms of you know they they don't have seven guys in the top one hundred. Those those are the four, but there's some interesting guys beyond that, and those four guys are all in the top thirty six. We should note that uh, we're just talking about a couple of the teams specifically here uh, this week and next week we will break down a lot more of these team top 30 prospect lists all right we want to wrap up by answering a question from the mailbag uh, this one comes from tom tusa not tom tupa uh, this is from uh, the handle at the tuse the tuse says there was some speculation that this was not 
a great draft class. Is it normal to have as many draft picks enter the top 100 as the 2021 class has? I think he's he needs to change his handle to obtuse. That would be good. That would be a better handle. Taking shots at the readers again, John. Um, that's right. Uh, uh, the, the question's very good. I'm just saying that would be a a, a a much more clever play on words. But anyway, you know, it, it, it's sort of interesting. We touched on this earlier. Um, it was kind of a weird combination. Yes, the the this draft class was not not as strong as we thought it might be and not as strong as some others you know, that we've seen. But the top 100 had so much volatility, so many graduations of so many guys who hadn't performed well that we kind of ended up with around the same amount of draftees, uh, you know, this year added as we have in past, uh, you know, midseason re-ranks. Um, you know, so I think it just happened that way. I think if, this had been sort of a quote unquote more normal year with this draft class. Maybe a few more of those guys wouldn't have made it. We would have done more of a wait and see kind of thing rather than uh, put some of the, some of the guys on at the tail end. Um, You know, but uh, by and large, this is about what we we've done over the years, and I, I am one to fully recognize that I tend to have a little bit of a draft bias. You know, you know, uh, I don't want to speak for you, Jim, but I think we've talked about this. We spent so much time working on the draft class that we know those guys really, really well, um, and so there is a tendency to uh, get a little too excited about them at times. But I think this year it was just—I think we found uh, a decent balance between the fact that it was not that robust of a class uh, and the fact that our top 100 was so topsy-turvy. Yeah. And I think the top of the draft, while there wasn't that, you know, Adley Rushman or Spencer Torkelson, the top of the draft was pretty good. You know, you know, we, I, we talked about Marcella Meyer being a special player, Jack Leiter. I mean, <laughs> if you're only gonna have one full college season, he, he packed a lot into that one full college season. He was tremendous. Jordan Lawler, Cleo Watson, Brady House, it was a really good high school shortstop class. Henry Davis, I, you know, I think, like you said, Jonathan, there much was made of the fact, well, maybe he wasn't the best player in the draft. He was still a really, really good player in the draft. And and I would just throw in there that Benny Montgomery wasn't too far off making our top 100 prospects list. Um, Harry Ford wasn't too far off making our top 100 prospects list. You know, Ty Madden, we had ranked as the ninth best player in the draft. He wound up going 32nd overall. I think you can make a case for him. So there were some other guys, too. So I think, you know, I, I think this draft as a whole, I, you know, I think there was an expectation, maybe more so from fans, that, oh, because there was only five-round draft last year, this draft's going to be so deep and so packed. And I don't think that turned out to be the case because, again, I think there was volatility of performance in college baseball and high school baseball to some extent. I think the draft was deep in terms of, there were better 22 and 23 year old players than there normally are. But other than that, it was, I'd say ordinary. I don't, I don't think it was a downdraft. And that high school shortstop class was pretty special, as was Jack Leiter. All right. Our thanks to the Toots, Tom Tusa, for sending that question in. And our thanks to everybody for listening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Make sure you go to MLB.com slash pipeline to get Uh, dig into all of the updated prospect lists. Also, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.